Uh, again, my name is Nick Brancher, and I, I do really, really mean it when I say welcome, uh, that I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm happy to see like a lot of familiar faces and also a few new ones, and um, I'm glad that you're here. I hope RUF can be a home for you uh, where you can process like who God is and how he relates to your life. That's what our hope is for you tonight. Tonight, we're continuing on in our series. If you've been here this semester, you know we're doing a series called Parables, just simple stories with spiritual significance. We've been talking about how God wants us to become neighbors, how he frees us to do so, how our justification comes only through Christ's work. Uh, we've met a number of people from uh, sinners and tax collectors to Pharisees and scribes. And in tonight's passage, Luke 12, 31, or 12 13 through 21, you have that printed uh, on your bulletin. A man approaches Jesus and he's going to ask him to become an arbitrator uh, over, over like a family dispute about an inheritance. A father has died, and he's left all the money, apparently, to one of the brothers at the exclusion of the other. And it would have been common practice, actually, for uh, a Jewish man to approach a rabbi, a teacher, and say, hey, can you settle this? Like, I think my father made a mistake. Can you make this happen for us? Maybe the brother has unlawfully taken more than what was his, what was his due. Uh, but Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, is going to use this moment not to do what this guy wants, but instead to confront this man uh, about uh, something else, actually about um, his greed. Uh, he's going to challenge this man uh, with a simple story that has spiritual significance. The, the parable that Jesus is going to tell us is actually a negative example. It's a thing to held up and be said, like, don't do this. Uh, it's a big warning sign. Don't be like this guy. Of what, and it's about what foolish living looks like, uh, especially when it comes to money or our possessions or what we have. Uh, and it, ultimately, it's going to answer this question. This is our big question that we're going to look at tonight. How do you become a poor fool? That's what this story is going to answer. How, how do you become a poor fool? That's, that's our big question. We're going to work through that. Now, I know you're all like poor college kids. <laughs> so you might be thinking, wow, this is probably the worst targeted sermon in the entire world to a bunch of people about greed when they don't have anything to like actually be greedy about. Some of you might have been thinking, man, I sure would like to have money to be greedy with. That sounds nice. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take the trade off. And uh, let me say this. I hear you. I really do. I hear you. But even if you don't have a mountain of money, uh, I will say there are other ways to be wealthy, right? When we talk about wealth, we don't just mean treasure, like your actual dollar amounts, how much is in your bank account. We can also talk in terms of your talents and your time as well. So there's treasure, right? There's also time and talents. Um, I mean, these are often even more valued than money, if you really think about it. So for instance, uh, you know, if a guy or girl was like, hey, I want to take you on a date, and then they just like mailed you 50 bucks in the mail, and they were like, so like, we dating now or what? You, now some of you guys would be like, this sounds like a great relationship. I will take this transaction. I get $50, and sure, we're in a relationship. But if you really think about it, that doesn't make you in a relationship, right? Like, you all honestly value a different kind of wealth in your relationships, uh, one that isn't about uh, money changing hands or how you steward that money. Instead, it's about, uh, it's about love and sacrifice and the things that come along with it. Uh, so uh, 
needless to say, that means that there are other ways to be wealthy and how to like give away things that we possess, right? Our time and talents. Um, so as we read this, you know, try to think like even outside the box. I will say too, it's never too early to start thinking about money as well because one day you will make some, hopefully. And then at that point, what are you going to do? And if you don't start now, you're probably just going to fall into whatever's easiest. And that is uh, what we're talking about tonight. So let's read Luke 12, 13 through 21. Uh, Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for giving us good gifts. Even now as college students without great possessions, it is true that you have sustained us thus far. Uh, We thank you for your provision And we pray tonight that you'll help us think biblically about our resources. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's jump in and answer our big question. Remember, it's how do you become a poor fool, right? How do you become a poor fool? Well, look at me, look with me at uh, at verse 16. Jesus starts off, he says, And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Before Jesus had said anything else about greed or possessions or... Uh, you know, about this man. We don't know anything about him yet. We know something uh, that all farmers know. He gives us a truth that, that is abundant in the Bible. God gives us our possessions, right? Notice that Jesus doesn't say that the rich man worked hard and acquired a lot of money, right? He doesn't say, you know, the rich man was very ingenuitive and designed a new way to like make crops better or something. No, instead, the parable is intentionally made so that the land is the thing that yields the resources. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Sure, we can safely assume like this guy scattered seed, right? Like he scattered seed and maybe tilled the earth and things. But uh, at the end of the day, he just waits, right? The rain that falls, the weather that he has, the frost that doesn't come, the, the many things, the animals that could eat his seed, all of those things don't happen. And they're completely out of this guy's control. And yet it still happens. It's, it's very similar to a point that Jesus makes in Mark 4, 26. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, he sleeps, and he sleeps at night. He rises during the day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. What Jesus is pointing out from the very beginning, before he talks about anything else about how we get possessions, is that the possessions uh, aren't things that we have earned. They're not things that we have produced. Instead, they're things that are given to us. Uh, when the when Jesus talks about uh, how the farmer yields his crop, it's that the field does the work. Where does the seed or soil come from and the rain that watered the field, right? Second um, Corinthians 9.10 tells us that like God supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food. Name is 4.7 says that God is the giver and withholder of rain. 
The Bible is very explicit over and over and over again that the things that we get are not things that we work really hard for and that we deserve, but instead that they, they're things that God gave us. Um, who, can, who can point to something and say, I made this for nothing? None of us, right? God has given us all the things that we can get uh, on this earth. And it's a key assumption that the Bible is going to make over and over again, that God is the creator and giver of all good things. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray for even like our daily bread in Matthew, right? In the Lord's Prayer. It's God who ultimately meets our need for daily bread, for even just our basic stuff. And this really brings us to the first answer to our big question, right? How do you become a poor fool? Well, the first step, the first step is you receive stuff, right? That's our first point tonight. You're going to receive stuff. Now, admittedly, this is also how to become like a rich, smart person, right? Like a wise person in the eyes of God. Both steps begin the same way. You're going to receive some things from God. Uh, but this actually tells us something important about God and how he thinks about money and how he thinks about our resources. It's not that having money or possessions is wrong, right? At its base level, both, both the wise person and the fool both get resources. And so God doesn't think about like having money as being wrong. It's how we think and use these possessions that makes the difference, um, it reminds me of a story in The Lord of the Rings. Um, actually, just in general, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's, a, there's this principle that's at work, the same idea. Frodo's given a, a ring, right? They, they fashion this ring, and it has, it's called a ring of power. It makes the, you know, the person who wears it invisible, and they have tons of strength and feats and all this stuff. And uh, ultimately, it corrupts the man who first wears it. He's named Sauron, and he, like, you know... Uh, turns really evil and tries to subdue the whole earth because he has this power. That's what he does with his, like, with the power that's given to him. But then uh, the whole movie, like, the whole makeup of, like, what's happening in the movie is uh, movies that you watch now or the books that you read. Uh, they're actually on a destiny to, like, destroy this ring, and Frodo's given it. And the thing is, throughout the books, Frodo's tempted to use it in the same way that Sauron is, but he never succumbs, Right? The ring itself isn't the problem. It's the person who's wearing it, right? It's what they want to do with it. Uh, power in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? Resources, amassing them, amassing, uh, you know, talents and time and treasure are not bad things. But the reality is, where is your heart while you do them, right? What are you going to use them for? Where are you at in that? Uh, that's, the, that's the point that we need to get from the very beginning, that you're going to receive stuff. And the question is, how are you going to use it? Uh, how are you steward what you're given? And the how is really where this rich man actually proves himself to be a fool. Uh, we all start in the same place, but we don't, we don't stay there, right? Uh, look with me at verse 18. The rich man decides how he will use what God has given him. He says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. The rich man has encountered a dilemma, Right? His, his field is overproduced and to such, such an extent that he can't possibly eat all of the grain he's harvested that year. Now, it would have been normal, which is why he has barns, it would have been normal for him to store away some of it for the winter and the off-season before the next harvest. But he can't store away, you know, one year's worth of stuff uh, and multiple years after that, right? Whatever this field has done, it's produced so much that for years and years to come, he actually won't be able to eat all the grain he's stored. So he, he comes up with a solution uh, he'll just tear down his old barns and build bigger ones. That way he can keep more of the grain for himself. Uh, and in this way, um, you know, he can keep all the grain 
And uh, he actually surmises that he'll be able to store the, the, so much grain, this, produ- this has produced so much grain, that he'll never have to work again. He can store it all up. Now, Jesus calls this man a fool, but if you're like me and you read this story on its face, it might seem a little puzzling, right? Uh, this man has like what we des- this man has reached what we would describe as retirement, right? He's like moved to Florida and now he just kicks back and like sips my ties by a pool. Like this is we would say this man's made it. Uh, what what's Jesus's problem? Like we we're told all the time that we should be putting money away. We shouldn't spend everything. Like when you're probably at home, your parents are like, don't forget, don't spend every dime that you get. You know, like budget. You need to budget. All that kind of stuff, right? And Jesus is Jesus arguing against you know saving for. Retirement, is that, is that not a good thing? Um, I mean, we might call this guy a fool if he, like, traded all that grain for, like, a pair of sandals that promised he could fly, you know, or, like, a jetpack or something. I don't know. Uh, but that's not what he does. He doesn't um, – he's just storing it up for the future. Um, but is saving for the future foolish? Well, no, right? That's not what Jesus is actually arguing for here. Again, the receiving is not the issue, right? That's like him having a lot of stuff is not the issue. It's what it does to our hearts that matters. So look with me again at this story, um, starting with the conundrum of what to do with the abundance of his harvest in verse 17. Look at verse 17. And he thought to, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, when I read it the first time, I didn't talk like that. But you can probably pick up that, like, this guy is obsessed with himself, right? The next verse, he's actually going to start talking to himself. That's how obsessed he is, right? He's going to talk to his own soul. He doesn't act like a person who's received his things from God. Um, he, rather, he's focused on what he has, like, earned and how to use it for himself. It's not that saving is bad, right? It's like, but why are you saving? This man isn't saving for like the good of his family or for other people in case of a famine. In fact, there's another story in the Bible where people will save their grain and like for a famine that's coming, and it's actually helpful for the whole world. Um, that's, not, that's another story, another, uh, another sermon. But like, that's not the problem. The problem is uh, that this man is thinking only of himself. This man is a fool in the eyes of God because he does not think of the resources as being given to him uh, for the benefit of other people. Instead, he thinks of his possessions as his own and for his benefit. This brings us to our second answer to our big question. How do you become a poor fool? You relish stuff. So I said, uh, you receive stuff. That's the first step. And then you relish the things you receive. You, re- you relish it. You treasure it up as your, as your own treasure to do with what you please for your own pleasure. Uh, this means that biblical fools are defined by what they've earned, right? When, when Jesus calls this man a fool, he's saying you're defined by what you earn instead of what, what you've been given. And they're entitled and self-focused, right? That's what a fool is, entitled, self-focused people who are self-made men and women who look out for number one. That's a fool in the Bible's language. And honestly, more and more, like even in, even in Christian circles, uh, this mindset is like subtly being praised, and we need to be aware of it. Uh, maybe you've never paid attention on like a pre-flight announcement by like flight attendants. But if you have, you know that uh, one of the first signs that like your plane is in emergency is that like an oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling, right? And they say, 
you know, they say the same thing to everybody. Make sure you put on your mask, right? And then you help the person next to you if you have a small child or something that can't put on the mask on their own. And that's, for the record, that's really good advice in a falling airplane. I'm not arguing against that. But what happens is our culture has kind of taken this idea that, like, you've got to help yourself before you can help another person. And they've, like, popularized it into, like, being an unassailable dogma. That you've got to help yourself first and then you can help other people. And, of course, here's the thing. They're right about that in their culture, right? Like, who is going to look out for you if you don't look out for you in the world? Like, the reality is, like, probably nobody. Like, maybe your parents, maybe you got some friends that look out for you or whatever. But the reality is they're pointing out something true. Your friends might sin against you. They might betray you. Your family might leave you. Like, you, you can't be sure that any relationship you have on earth is ultimately going to be uh, definitive for you and never le- let you down. Um, even the most close relationships actually tend to be the ones that hurt us most, right? And so, uh, like, they're kind of right. You can't trust anybody. Make sure you take care of yourself, and then maybe you can help other people. But um, for the Christian, this, this is a really, like, probably a very unhelpful model of thinking about your life because the reality is um, if this is you, like, Jesus has, like, put on the mask for you, right? Like, he, like you can help somebody else because he's already put the mask on you. Um, yes, you should take care of yourself before you help somebody else. But the reality is if you put your faith in Christ, he, he has loved you so well that nothing can hurt, like nothing can ultimately hurt you, not even death. That death is just to be with him. That's all there is. Um, and so that means like this idea of like, you know, soul care and helping ourselves first, like it doesn't make sense. In fact, like if we really wanted to be honest about what this scenario looks like for a Christian, for anybody who wants to have faith, um, the idea is like Jesus has loved you so much that he didn't just give you an oxygen mask. He also gave you a parachute, um, several parachutes for your friends. Also, like, has helped you put them on your friends because you stumbled about, like, you don't know how to do it right. And he's like, don't worry, I know how to actually help people. And he's doing it for you. All the while, he's keeping the plane level. And then you all jump out to your safety. And then he has to keep it level while it happens. And then he crashes in the side of a mountain and saves you all. Like, that is actually the more appropriate way of thinking about this analogy. That, that Jesus has given us everything and we're, we're like, we're safe. That he'll never leave us. That we don't have to worry about uh, securing our own masks. Um, that's, the, like, that's the reality. And it's the opposite of this like, rich fool who, who thinks he's got to take care of himself. Who builds up and amasses as much wealth as he can um, uh, to take care of himself. The Christian life, like because Jesus loves you that much, because he's taking care of you, because he's promised you in his blood, that nothing, nothing will separate you from himself. That all things are working together for your good. And, and it can't be not true. He's got too much skin in the game, literally. Uh, then you can, in fact, like help other people. You can start to think about other people, not like this fool. Um, but instead, uh, this fool continues, right? The, the real question is, like, if that were true, why do I sometimes, why do we all sometimes still feel like, yeah, but I need to... Oh, I, I actually want to say this to you. I don't want to overlook this. Um, for the record, when I say this, I don't mean that like people who just like are bent to hurt you and are not like good relationships for you and like people who just want to take from you. This is not license for you to just be like obliterated by them, right? Like uh, that's not. Um, I'll pause. I don't have a hard time. We good? Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so, good, good, good. Um, if that's like something uh, dangerous, let us know. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, great, 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 great. Uh, we're on like the second level. It's fine. Um, so, we're in the best place. So, uh, like I said, so there, the idea here isn't that like people can just like take from you and take from you and take from you and it's fine because Jesus has you. Like that's not what I'm saying. Like there are such things as like codependent relationships where people hurt you and you need to like maybe make distance in things. That doesn't give people like freedom to do that to you. But what it does say is if you just like don't want to engage with somebody because it's going to cost you something, like that's, that's hoarding your resources. That's hoarding your time and talents uh, and, and not loving other people. And you can. The thing is Jesus wants to empower you to do that. Um, the question becomes, right, well then, like, if, if that were true, uh, why is this still such an attractive option, right? Why is becoming, like, this rich man such an attractive option? Why is it so tempting to relish our possessions as our own and use them uh, for our own purposes? Why, aren't, why isn't everybody just more, like, charitable with their time and talents and treasure? Well, look with me at verse 19, uh, this is the last point Jesus is going to make. The rich man continues his plan by telling us exactly why this lifestyle is so attractive. He says it like this, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Jesus, from the lips of this rich man, tells us that hoarding our resources is attractive because it provides us with security and happiness. Right? Uh, that's what the rich man says. Because he has enough wealth, he can relax. Nothing can touch him. The future is not a threat. Nothing can assail him. He's like completely and totally secure. Or he feels that way. And on top of this security, right, he can consume these goods. He can eat whatever and however he wants. He can drink whatever and however much, however little, however whatever he wants. And he can find happiness in whatever way and however he wants uh, and whatever he thinks. He's free to live life by his own terms. Uh, he believes, however he believes he'll be happy, that's what he can do. No rules can touch him. And like the reality is, these are very potent promises to our hearts, aren't they? Right? If it's security and freedom, uh, you know, security and happiness, our, our time, talents, and treasures, they all promise that they're going to buy us this stuff. Right? They tell us like, Hey, if you, you know, work hard enough and you amass enough wealth, like, you'll be able to get out of whatever happens. You, like, nothing will hurt you. Um, and, and the reality is, man, like, for you guys as college students, this is particularly, particularly alluring. Um, that somehow, when you get done with college, everything's going to be a lot better. Because then you'll have money, and then you'll be able to, like, do fun things, um, and you'll be able to buy your security and your freedom and you'll finally be happy. Maybe you're not happy right now because you have to work 1.7 jobs, but when you stop working 1.7 jobs, you just have one job, and it's great, and everything's rosy, like, then life will be better. Um, but the reality is these things can't, like, these things can't do it for us. Um, what ends up happening is we, we cease to see all the things that were given as gifts, and we start to use them as crutches, Right? You tell yourself that when you, you can buy your security and freedom, you'll be happy. And this is, like, honestly, the reason this doesn't work is it's its, its own kind of religion um, in a way, right? Having faith in these promises that time, treasure, and talents 
are going to make you whole, that they'll be able to give you everything that you need. Like, that's putting your trust in these things. You have faith in these things. Um, and they become your gods. You have to provide for them. And they will provide for you. That's how it works. But the, but the worst part is they fail. Like, these idols fail us all the time. Look, look at uh, how the parable ends in verse 20. Um, but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Um, if we're not careful, we'll miss the deeper question here. Um, I mean, like, because the obvious answer, right, is that the surface, like, the surface question is just, like, uh, who's going to get them? Uh, an inheritor, probably the next of kin, uh, maybe a wife or a kid or, like, a cousin. I don't know. Uh, you know, that, that you can answer that question, but I think what God is pointing out to the man in the story, right, and what you should be hearing in the question is the real, deeper, truer question that's being asked. Um, he's, he's asking, where are those things that you prepared for? And the reality is, like, what were those things that he was preparing? He was preparing security and so-called freedom, and they're gone. They're gone because he can't take it with him. Here we have, the, we have the major thrust of the whole parable. When we work for ourselves, right, when we selfishly strive for our own security and our own happiness, we ruin the gifts we've been given. Our time, talents, and treasure, they're really good things. They're super good things. They're good things that God gave us. Um, that was our first point. But we ruin them when we make them ultimate things. When we lean so hard on those things that they'll give us the security and they'll give us the happiness and they'll give us the just the deep desires of our hearts. Um, the promise, the reality is like those, they're not meant to be ultimate things. Uh, they can't provide what we're thinking they will. Um, because, I mean, in the story, death is the, like the ultimate equalizer, right? You can't take it with you. But the reality is Jesus could have told this story differently. The barn could have caught on fire. Somebody could have stole the grain. Like there's lots of ways that he's trusting in this stuff, but you can't be sure that it's going to stay. Um, and ultimately, like, the things this rich man has prepared, his security and his happiness, like they, they don't come to fruition because he's trusting in the wrong things to bring him uh, that happiness and that security. And this brings us to our third answer, right, to our big question, how do you become a poor fool? Well, you ruin stuff, right? You ruin stuff by making good stuff ultimate stuff. Uh, to become a poor fool, you know, it's a three-step formula. I said that you receive stuff, you relish stuff, you ruin stuff. Like that's a, you know, a simple path. This is the path that this poor man takes. He, he receives uh, the bounty of his harvest. He then relishes it and thinks about only himself with it. And then he ruins it because it can't ultimately bring him the things that he wants. I and mean, then probably the reality is not anybody else either because he's so overworked on this one thing, right? He's so bound up in, in building these houses and doing all this stuff probably wasn't a very good friend or father or anything else, and so the inheritance is not going to be valued by anybody who actually ends up getting it. Um, this is, this is the, the life of a fool. Um, and, and Jesus is beckoning us not to live this way. But what other way is there? What's, the, what's, what's our other options? Well, Jesus identifies it in the end. Look with me at, at verse 21. Uh, Jesus says that we're supposed to be rich toward God. That's the other option. And how do we do this? Uh, well, the way that we do this, right, is that we place our faith in Jesus, uh, that we uh, ask him to bring us true fulfillment, that he, we ask him to be our security, that we ask him to provide for us, that we recognize all the things that we're given 
every breath and every you know, ounce of food and every ounce of water that we ever drink, that we recognize that like, that comes from God's hand and that he's taking care of us in all those ways. Um, I've mentioned before uh, in a previous sermon that when I was a kid, I used to go skiing because uh, I lived in Virginia. Uh, well, one time when I was going skiing, uh, when I was really, really, really little, uh, my family went skiing with uh, some friends of ours uh, and some like, close family friends. They were older. And uh, I always loved going with these people because uh, my parents were like pretty slow skiers, but uh, Gail, one of the like skiers, was super fast. She'd like fly down the hill. And when you're like, you know, 10, you're like, I just want to go fast, you know? Uh, and I've said this before. You're like low to the ground. Your center of gravity is really low. So if you tank, like it doesn't really hurt that bad. Um, and so you just like, you can fly down the hill and you also don't gain that much speed because there's not enough weight. That's physics. Um, and so that's for free. Uh, so here I was like going down this hill with Gail and she's really great skier. And we like, so we get so far ahead of everybody else that we get down to the hill and we think, you know what? I bet we could get back up to the top and ski down and like maybe lap my parents. Cause that's how slow they are. So we decide like, we're going to get on the, we're going to get on the chairlift. Um, and we're going to ride up, and I loved riding the, the chairlift with Gail um, because it's like, yeah, we're going we're to catch up my parents or whatever, and while we're going up, um, I notice, like, right, well, as we're, like, you know, skiing into place, and then, like, the chairlift comes and, like, scoops you up or whatever, uh, I noticed that the guys who were down there had built, like, like a two-foot-tall snowman, and I don't know why, but I thought that was, like, the coolest thing ever, mostly because it, like, hadn't snowed, and like it was like probably late in the in the year or something. It was like March or something. And in Vir- in Virginia, that the snow is melted in March. Um, and so uh, I thought it was so cool because I didn't I hadn't seen a snowman in months. And um, and so I keep looking at the snowman as as it picks us up. And I keep looking at it. And I keep looking at it. And I'm like looking over my shoulder as we're going up. And one of the reasons that I liked to ride with Gail up to the top is because she would not put the lap bar down, so I could look more easily. You can also fall more easily out of a lap, out of a, a chairlift that doesn't have a lap bar, and so that is what I did. I kept looking, and then eventually my head was down here, and my uh, toes were up there, and I fell like head first uh, out of this like ski lift. I was probably honestly I was probably like 15 feet up. It wasn't that bad, but and I landed in like a snowdrift. Everything was fine, um, but the reality is uh, this is kind of what it's like when. Uh, we pick things over the creator when we pick creation over the creator. We like get enamored by like a two foot tall snowman when the reality is like God is offering us like a ski down a hill, you know, like actually like using the, like using our skis and like enjoying his creation. We're like so obsessed with the snowman and like, where do we end up? We end up like tumbled over like in a snowbank with just our skis out and people have to like pull you out like a rabbit or something by its ears. Um, don't pull rabbits by their ears. Um, and like this, is what, like, this is what God is doing for us. He's offering us like the reality of like skiing down a hill, um, offering us the real security, the real uh, happiness that we're looking for. We can find fulfillment in him and him loving us and knowing us uh, instead of having to pursue that wholeheartedly with possessions that won't satisfy. Um, I encourage us to lay hold of that, to lay hold of this offer that... Um, that allows us to be true givers to other people, uh, that like allows us to like have masks on, to have parachutes and like 
love others uh, without having to worry about ourselves. Um, that's our offer tonight. Uh, let's pray.